Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harris and Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door and let's chat about art, architecture, history, real estate, and more. Let's jump in. Leisure travel has always been a luxury, available most often to the upper classes and the wealthy. Our interpretation of luxury, however, has not remained the same over the centuries. We may all understand extravagance and grandeur, but we are very likely to define it differently. Is luxury defined by exclusivity, rarity, opulence? Is luxury in the exceptional service found at an exclusive raffles resort, or is it purely the price paid for the latest in yacht design? Let's roll out the red carpet and indulge as we explore the splendid and sumptuous world of luxury travel. You may not know how to define it, but you probably know it to experience it. By definition, luxury is the state of great comfort and extravagant living. I love that definition. <laughs> I know, me too. People who live a luxurious lifestyle are, to put it simply, comfortable. Right. I love Isidore Sharp's definition. Mr. Sharp, the founder and chairman and CEO for Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, defined luxury as something that appears to be the best of whatever it represents. It's a word that raises people's expectations. Mm -hmm. Now, we think of luxury, when we think of it, our minds might go to fancy cars and designer clothes, maybe mega mansions with infinity pools, and of course, always jewels. Right. We may also think of brand names like Rolex, Bentley, bottle service of Veuve Clicquot or Cristal, depending on your preference of champagne. But Harris, have you ever heard of conspicuous consumption? I don't think I have. Well, in the 1890s, there was an American economist and sociologist named Thorsten Veblen, I believe that's his name. And he noticed that people with means bought expensive items that they could specifically consume in public as a way of showing off their wealth and therefore social status. Hmm. This was a trend of conspicuous consumption that was evident then, but is now very obvious in our society today. Is it ever? Yeah. Luxury became a brand category because of people's wish to display their wealth publicly in the items they purchased. Yeah, I would think that perhaps luxury items were not as available to the masses then like they are now. It seems like every outlet mall has all of the high-end designer shops and their items available are at cut rate prices so more people are able to afford gucci and louis vuitton than they were before yeah they were out of reach before yeah i think in the 19th century the appeal of handbags and high fashion was there but it probably wouldn't surprise you that people back then also liked to show off their wealth by how they traveled mm -hmm. whether it was by land sea or air and actually the earliest travel for the purpose of leisure was really a luxury in itself. Hmm. During the 19th and early 20th centuries, travel for leisure was considered a luxury because it meant you were afforded the privilege of traveling instead of working. Right. It all comes down to disposable income, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because travel for leisure is not a necessity. Mm -hmm. If your priorities are feeding your kids or heating your home or paying for gas in your car or whatever it is, 
Leisure travel is just not on the table. Exactly. And air travel didn't make its appearance until well after the invention of the airplane by the Wright brothers in 1903, with the passenger flights becoming more common after 1927. Right. So before that, long-distance travel was accomplished by ocean liner or ship or, of course, the train. Right. Yeah. Now, when I think of old-world luxury travel, my mind immediately conjures up well-heeled passengers with, you know, large-brimmed hats, relaxing on decks of the old ocean liners such as the Queen Elizabeth and the Queen Mary, and perhaps even the most famous of all, the Titanic. Yeah, those sumptuously decorated Mm -hmm. private cabins. And on the Orient Express, too, with the sterling silver dining service and black tie dinners, that's it's like the pinnacle of luxury. Yes, even when the passenger jet was available, those who were fortunate enough to engage in leisure travel still found the ship and the train appealing, apparently, Hmm. because they could afford the time that these slower forms of luxury transportation required. Yeah, uh, but even those passenger jets of old, Mm -hmm. they were super luxe deluxe, too, weren't they? They were. I was recently out in Newfoundland visiting family, and we made a special trip to stop in this little coastal town called Botwood. And my dad, he used to be a, a ship's physician, and he would travel to all the little outport towns around the coast of Newfoundland delivering medical care. And Botwood was one of the stops. So that's why we ended up going there. And we thought, well, we'll we'll just look around and have lunch. But actually what we found was this flying boat museum. Have you ever heard of a flying boat? No, I haven't. Were they like a seaplane or? They were actually passenger planes. So they were kind of like part aircraft, part seaplane and part aircraft, part ship. Hence the name flying boat. They were really big. And one of the largest was the Yankee Clipper. It could accommodate up to 72 passengers, but of those, 40 could have sleeping accommodations. So just to give you an idea of size. That's crazy. It is crazy. There was also a spiral staircase, bridal suite, dining room, dressing rooms, bar, and a lounge. So these flights were the epitome of luxury. And this little town of Botwood was a pivotal stop on their overseas route between North America and Europe. Pan American Flying Hotels landed there, as did British Imperial Airways. Okay, that's really unbelievable. When you were talking about the spiral staircase, immediately I was thinking about the spiral staircase and the Titanic. I know. And it's in an aircraft. Yeah. Like a flying, it was a flying ship. It was a flying ship. And that's exactly where my mind went too, Walker. (laughs) So obviously we share a brain. But wouldn't you love if air travel was that way now? Of course, aircrafts have become more efficient after the war, so these flying boats became obsolete and Botwood was no longer needed as a stop on the route. Well, it doesn't really surprise me that short travel times offered by passenger jets after the war eventually led to air travel becoming really the most popular form of transportation Mm -hmm. as we know it. It ultimately saved travelers weeks of their time, which they could redirect towards work or even greater leisure time once they reached their final destination. If you really think about it, it became less about the journey, yeah, um, but more about the destination itself. Yeah, definitely. Now, having said this, flights in the 1960s were certainly 
more luxurious than the average passenger experience today. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. There's more leg room. And they appear to have been, you know, have these extravagant meals and endless drinks. Yeah. As well as, you know, the leg room. I, I <laughs> bring it up again because the last time, not the last time, but a couple times ago, my knees were right up to my ears. <laughs> but there was a glamour associated with travel, which passengers also personally prepared for. You know, it was common practice for a lot of people out there to wear travel jackets and more formal travel wear instead of today which most passengers opt for comfort you know of track pants and running shoes that sort of thing mm -hmm. I remember dressing up to go on the plane in the 1970s I still dress up my husband and I do you <laughs> we do he has a travel jacket and I tend to dress a little nicer too well, Actually. that's, I like that tradition. I don't want to be the only one that looks bad. Yeah, exactly. No, you have to match his style. I even remember looking forward to the onboard meal, but that's certainly changed, hasn't it? Yeah, most flights today don't even offer more than a bag of crackers and some water. You know, this is probably why luxury liners and train travel still continue. And there's a certain sector of the population that still crave this extravagant experience while en route. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right about that. Luxury travel comes in a lot of forms, though, mm -hmm. today, doesn't it? Carrie McDougall, president of Cultural Crossroads, a premier tour company, noted that travelers look for something unique, above their expectations, with superb service, where their needs and wants are fulfilled. This includes exclusivity, privacy, and everything from relaxation to adventure with pampering and extras. And all of this talk about old world travel mm. I'm so attracted to the the romance and the glamour of it all and I think it's because it came up in a lot of the books I read like particularly Agatha Christie mm. right with Poirot whatever searching out the murderer <laughs> in the cabins of the Orient Express <laughs> did you know that you still can experience the opulence of the Orient Express I did Oh, well, okay then. I'm going to tell you anyway. The Venice Simplon Orient Express allows you the opportunity to dine in 1920s dining cars and sleep in plush historic suites. You would definitely yeah. be conspicuously consuming. Yeah, well, I have to say, I it's on my bucket list. I go on their Instagram quite a bit. Oh. But I haven't actually checked out the prices, so I'm a little afraid to hear what you're going to tell me. Yeah, well, there are a lot of one-day routes that are less expensive, but if you want to do it properly, you take the route from Paris to Istanbul with a little day stop in Bucharest in Romania, and that will set you back 19,000 pounds sterling per person. Right. Well, that isn't in my budget this year. <laughs> yeah, nor mine. But fortunately, we have the benefit of time because when I last looked, there are no reservations available until August of 2023. You could, however, opt for a shorter one-night journey from Paris to Rome, and that's a more affordable £3,785 per person for a double occupancy cabin. And that includes a four-course dinner and a continental breakfast served in your cabin. But I would book it soon. The Orient Express is a very hot ticket. It's not the only luxury train in town, though. There are many others around the world that you can take advantage of, but some are just as hard to reserve. For example, the cruise train Seven Stars in Kyushu, Japan. It looks absolutely gorgeous. It only has a capacity for up to 28 passengers for its two- and four-day excursions, so getting a ticket is pretty hard to come by. In fact, if you're interested in experiencing this journey on this train, you have to enter a lottery and you have to hope that you're the lucky winner that's invited to purchase a ticket. 
you know, that is luxury defined, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The exclusivity associated with it. So how many people can actually claim to have experienced this cruise train in Kyushu? I can't imagine. But like, as we've said, the less available something is, the more people want it. We're familiar with that, certainly in the luxury real estate world, aren't we? That's so true. Yeah. I also have to mention the Maharaja's Express in India, which has, in fact, won the prestigious acclaim of being named the world's leading luxury train. This is a true luxury experience, steeped in culture, with amazing on and off board tours and performances. And along with all the modern conveniences that people expect these days, the traditional icons of luxury are also on board. The personal butler. Perfect. I'll I have know. two. That is my definition of luxury <laughs> right there. Yeah. A l- butler and a chef. But if you really want to blow the budget, you can reserve the two-bed, two-bath presidential suite, which is an entire car of the train, costing just under $50,000 for a six-night, seven-day route. Wow. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I love train travel. But I had the opportunity to cross the Atlantic on a luxury liner, and it was an exceptional experience too, I have to admit. Mm. Today, ocean liners may not be the main form of transportation to get from one continent to the next, but ships like the Queen Mary 2 still draw those wanting to experience the old world transatlantic cruise experience offered by historic Cunard Line. Right. Were you on the Queen Mary 2, Walker, or were you on a different ship? We were on the we were on the Queen Elizabeth too, okay. and my husband and I boarded the ship in 2002 in New York as part of our honeymoon. We traveled to New York to to Southampton. I think it was just about seven days. The ship was retired in 2008, and I hear that since 2018, it's been serving as a floating hotel in Dubai. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. My best friends actually moved to Canada when they were small children aboard the QE2, and they're always talking about their memories of that experience. So what was it like? Uh, something I'd really like to do. Yeah, It was exciting and it was lovely. The ship had a classic traditional old world field, which you would really expect. And I think we were nearly the youngest passengers on the ship because mm. most people were celebrating something really special in their life, like a retirement or 25 plus years of marriage. Right. Now, everyone was giving us marriage advice, which was quite memorable. Mm. And th- th- there were authors on board giving book readings, uh, which was quite civilized. Uh, also high tea was served and there were two black tie dinners while on board you could learn how to play bridge or take part in foot massage classes among other activities now we signed up for the foot massage oh it it was hilarious there were many mature passengers male passengers that were being forced to take the massage class and I have to say the lack of enthusiasm was pretty obvious. That is funny. I think I would be part of that crowd. I would have opted for the bridge class. Feet are not my my thing. (laughs) Well, these days, the Queen Mary 2 still offers afternoon high tea with white glove service, but there's also mixology classes, dance classes, yoga and spinning, gambling, and also acting classes and watercolor painting. Hmm. So there's really a lot to choose from. And if you go on one of these ocean liners, like, well, the Queen Mary 2, they have the largest library of books on their ships, of all the ships that are currently on water. So if you're a big reader, there's no end to the number of books you can have access to. Oh my gosh, I love that. We should have included that on our bookshops and libraries episode. Well, absolutely. The QM2 is very special. Did you know that she's the world's last remaining ocean liner? I didn't. Yeah, well, unlike cruise ships, ocean liners are built with a stronger hull to sustain the abuse of crossing the Atlantic. I didn't know this till I read about it. 
It's faster than a cruise ship and the bow and the hull are designed in a special way to cut through rough waters, ensuring that, you know, that the ride is a safe, smooth journey. Right. Yeah. And of course, she is physically beautiful as well with lots of polished wood and Art Deco interior design. There are many celebrity photos of passengers such as Charlie Chaplin and Clark Gable who've traveled on previous Cunard transatlantic ships lining the walls. Um, People tend to be drawn to what they describe as the ambiance and the heritage associated with the ship. People actually consider a privilege to be a passenger on this this ship. I can understand why. It's not really just a mode of transportation. It's an experience and one that sits within a, a really defined historical and cultural context. Absolutely. There was a glamorous feeling leaving the port in New York and waving goodbye to everyone on land, including the Statue of Liberty, Mm. just like in the movies and historical documentaries you see. Absolutely. All those old black and white movies as people are waving from the shore, waving from the the rail on the ship. It's very, very romantic. It's very fun. I know you have a special story about when you were embarking on that ship. I do. Now, I have to say, I'm seldom in awe of celebrities, but standing in front of me, closer than you and you and I are right now, stood David Bowie. Like, oh, my directly God. Directly in front of me. Oh, my God. Needless to say, I was a little excited to be standing right beside a music icon. Yeah, he, David Bowie is one of my idols definitely from the time I was about 12 or 13 years old Mm -hmm. did he have to stand in line with everybody else he did everybody has to stand in line it doesn't matter what class you're in now mind you once he checked in we never saw him again but we were told by the staff that he didn't like to fly and instead opted to travel by sea that's really interesting it must be nice to have that option well, I'm assuming that he did not have a private yacht up to the task of crossing the Atlantic Ocean or maybe right. just preferred all the bells and whistles of the luxury liner and the history as well. Right. I think you would have to have a fairly sizable yacht for a comfortable journey across those choppy seas. Mm-hmm. But they are quite the investment too, aren't they? Well, from what I gather, I've personally not looked into the possibility of purchasing one. Oh, you haven't? <laughs> really? You're not shopping for the personal yacht at the moment? No. Okay. Well, I'm actually a bit fascinated with the yacht experience. There are small yachts that are expensive, but crisscross the Caribbean and Mediterranean regularly in droves. But there are also large yachts, super yachts, and the mega yacht. Of course. And I just recently saw a mega yacht with my own eyes in the harbor of Barcelona. It is, after much Googling, I discovered it is owned by the Sun of Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed al-Nayan, who is the president of the UAE and Emir of Abu Dhabi. It's reportedly just one meter shorter than his dad's yacht, so as not to upstage him. However, this yacht practically upstaged the entire city. It was huge. It was just enormous. It was like a battleship, honestly. It would have to be, though, because apparently it has multiple indoor swimming pools, can accommodate up to 36 guests and 56 crew members... And I personally would like to see this ship featured on Below Deck, which is my secret reality TV addiction. Okay, so that yacht sounds crazy. It actually sounds like a resort in itself. Mm -hmm. How much would a boat like that cost? Well, apparently this one is valued at 500 million US, but you can snag a small yacht for anywhere between 250,000 and 5 million if it is used 
Although I think the 250000 is on the light side. I'm not sure. what. Maybe you're getting a raft for that. <laughs> with a few holes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some other famous yacht owners include Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame. Of course. And a lot of famous athletes like David Beckham, Tom Brady, Rafael Nadal. And some well-known fashion designers like Roberto Cavalli and Giorgio Armani. So Elon Musk doesn't have one, though, does he? He's more of a private jet kind of slash spaceship sort of guy. Uh, Yeah. I I doubt he travels commercial, though. No, I don't think he does. He actually just bought a Gulfstream G700 to replace his older private jet and add to his mini Air Force, which now is comprised of four jets. Ah, well, that might be out of most of our range, but you could always rent a private jet. If you did, you could opt for one with your own bedroom, maybe a fully equipped business center, butlers, cashmere blankets, and some Cristoffel silverware. The benefit of renting, though, is that you don't have the responsibility or the expense of the upkeep of your own aircraft. So I imagine some people do opt for that. Yeah. I think private jet maintenance is probably pretty pricey and is very likely never going to be a line item on my own household's budget. So how much does it cost to rent then? Well, from what I read, the cost really depends on the size of the plane, the distance, and the number of passengers, and even what season you're flying in. And it could be anywhere from... 1200 to 12,000 per hour. Wow. And if you want it for the full weekend, it'll probably set you back at least 50 grand. Ooh. One thing you need to consider that most people don't, though, is the fact that you're going to be charged for the cost to fly your plane empty to come get you, and then you're going to have to fly it empty to return the plane to its original destination. So that's all part of the cost that, you know, the hourly cost that you would be incurring. Wow. So it's kind of like renting a car. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't want to see the, the charge at the pump, though, for that. Well, if you're of the mindset that renting is a waste of money, you could purchase... That option is always available, I suppose. Private jets range in price, and a previously owned jet obviously being less expensive, but this doesn't necessarily mean that they're giving these things away. Now, I read that in 2019, one plane was being sold for over $54 million. A very light jet, though, which is really your smallest available option, and it holds about four to seven guests, can be purchased for between $1.5 to $5.5 million, but... The only problem is it can only fly up to three hours. So you're not really doing the long distance without touching down. Right. I think I'll pass on the tiny light jet because where can I get in three hours? Ottawa from Toronto? Mm, Okay. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of expenses associated with owning a plane and you can't exactly park it in your driveway, can you? No, you can't. And I'm not too keen on the idea of purchasing a used jet either. Like what if you actually purchase a lemon It's not like if it breaks down, you're pulling over to the side of the road. You're just falling out of the sky. (laughs) So true. That's not for me either. (laughs) Clearly, the business of luxury travel is big business, whether it's booking a trip or buying a yacht. People are drawn to the appeal of brands that convey quality. The concept of exclusivity is powerful, and access to the rare is coveted by many people. It serves as a symbol that they're different, special, and a class above most others. And let's face it, that feeling of comfort associated with luxury is also one that, you know, as humans, we all gravitate to. So true. Have you ever had an exclusive experience aside from your transatlantic voyage? No. No. I travel cattle class, so I think my only 
exclusive experience is that maybe the time I almost fell out of a bus in rural Brazil out of the bathroom window. Um, yeah. That's something Do you want to be a part I'm of not, that club? I'm not signing up for that lottery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'll get into that story another time. Well, you may be surprised to know that there is currently a curious trend towards the minimalist luxury now. Huh. Apparently, authentic-looking counterfeit goods are partially responsible for this move away from conspicuous consumption of days gone by. Mm-hmm. The very wealthy no longer can claim these brands exclusively when so many can afford to be decked out in what appear to be high-end labels. This was a topic of research for professors of marketing at Wharton and John Hopkins University Carey Business School. They collaborated on a paper entitled A Theory of Minimalist Luxury. That's so interesting. I know what minimalist living is and minimalist architecture, but what on earth is minimalist luxury? Well, I'll tell you. It's a trend towards <laughs> buying fewer items and buying better. Ha. Huh. Yeah, it translates into minimalist design, as you say. Many decor magazines, you see that feature, you know, the trend now is to feature sparse living spaces and many fashion influencers are are promoting owning just a few very high-end clothing items. I don't know if Marie Kondo and The Art of Tidying Up started this trend, but it reminds me of her lifestyle advice. Yeah, I read that book and I'm ashamed to admit that I think I failed Marie Kondo. All of my tchotchkes brought me joy. All of my clothes brought me joy and not one thing left my house. So you held them in your hand and then you put them back on the shelf? And then I put them right back (laughs) on the shelf, right back on the shelf. So what is driving this minimalist luxury trend? Is it a need to psychologically simplify in our complex world or is there an environmental aspect to it maybe? Well, maybe for some people, but many consumers are still on the conspicuous consumption bandwagon. It's just the ultra-wealthy, really, who may not be. Okay. The study stated that luxury goods can no longer be relied upon to signal wealth like they used to. And apparently by giving up conspicuous consumption of these goods and only purchasing a few very high-end or exclusive items or experiences, high-net-worth individuals are sending a message that they're making sacrifices that less wealthy individuals are not willing to make or can't make to stand out well that all sounds a little crazy to me I know I know right I'm not sure that this minimalist attitude actually applies to travel though I don't know if there are many uber wealthy individuals cashing in their Bentleys and supercars to take the bus yeah I somehow doubt that I don't know, perhaps, you know, they'll downsize from a super jet to an ultralight instead. And that's their concept of downsizing. I yeah, don't know. there's your minimalist air travel. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you know what? Maybe we should have reached out to Elon to ask him if he plans on downsizing anytime soon. What a good idea. <laughs> Let's get on that. From the opulence of centuries past available to the elite few to today's luxury brand obsessions increasingly available to the masses, the definition of luxury continues to transform. There are few grander stages to witness this upon than in the field of luxury travel. Yachts, private jets, exclusive journeys, these all highlight the continued commitment human society has to conspicuous consumerism. But is luxury only reflected in the biggest, the most shiny, or the most expensive? Perhaps the greatest luxury of all can be found in the simple comfort of our own lives. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harrison Walker. <laughs>